Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Morning, Ned. Hello. Uh, where are we? We're in Maidstone, in Kent, in the United Kingdom of Northern Ireland and Great Britain. And what are we doing here? Well, we're anticipating heavy traffic on all approaches to Maidstone. Uh, especially on the M20, London bounds, the A20 at the moment, uh, running relatively clear, but there is some suggestion of uh, congestion later on in the day on the approaches to Seven Oaks. I don't know. I'm improvising that, really. You know, kind of like <laughs> yeah, made-up traffic news. To be totally yeah, we're actually in the bubble. We've yeah. forgotten. And also, we're on our bikes. We are. We yeah. cycle to work. We do in Kent. Yeah. And so there's no congestion. No, there aren't. It's very, very rare. You get congestion. Yeah. On bikes, yeah. except at the Tour de France. Yeah. You get quite a lot of congestion on bikes there. So, yeah. So, welcome to the uh, Never Strays Tadej France po- podcast. Tadej Pogacar, literally yesterday. Podcast would be good as well, actually. I don't know why Pogar- he Podcaster. Podcast. Tadej Podcaster. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Tadej Podcaster um, literally experienced congestion, heavy congestion yesterday when he was trying to move up on the left, didn't he? And uh, he found that the Koenig Quickstep. Um, kind of shut him down. Do you remember that? Should we put the jingle in now? Oh, yeah, that's how you do podcasts. Yeah. So let's start again. <laughs> We're yeah. a bit out of practice, aren't we? Let's be honest. Yeah, we rusty. are a little bit, but that's fine. Um, so, yeah, so now the jingle can go in. Yeah. Okay. Here? Right now. Well, I'm, I've got to do the editing, so can you make it very clear for me? Uh, jingle Ned, goes in now. Ned, put Ned, the jingle in. Uh, Putting the jingle in now. Three, two. Oh no, I messed it up. So I'll count. I'll count it in. Shall I? Three, two, one. Take the jingle. Uh, thank you once again to Perry. Ah, uh, I mean, you know. Peredur. Peredur. Abgunath. Abgunath. Yeah. He's just, he's just amazing. Yeah. That's uh, his latest addition to the You know, he repertoire. toured with Natalie Umbrulia, don't you? I think, yeah, I do remember that because we talked about that in the interview, which we'll actually put in the show notes, our interview we did with him uh, at the Vuelta, the Fool. A while, a while ago. Ah, yeah. now, talking of which, yeah. that was, was that the birth of Revuelta? I can't remember. That was, a, that was Revuelta, yeah, that's where we, well, we started this. Without any further ado, and we will come to talk about the Tour de France in a kind of tangential, straying way uh, very soon because it's been dynamite. Mm. That's quite a good word, isn't it? It's been dynamite so far. It has been dynamite. Um, But before we come on to that section of the podcast, thank you so much to Geraint Rollins. Now, do you remember? Do you remember Geraint's contribution from Uh, from the uh, Revolta? When we it was was last year's Vuelta, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's just this is phenomenal and i didn't think it could be improved yet he's he's done it because we you'd asked we'd asked for people to offer race reviews yeah uh as poems had we or was it i can't remember but I, I, f- no so we did haikus at the giro yeah but i think it was poetry but we for what uh, for whatever uh, it was reason poetry it was definitely Geraint, poetry. Geraint, uh, Rollins made 
gave us the most magnificent resume of last year's Welter, mm. which was won by uh, Primoz Roglic, um, in the style of Dylan Thomas and in the style of uh, the beautiful kind of work of art that is Under Milk Wood. So it's mm. Under Milk Roglic or Under Milk Welter or whatever it was called. Welter Milk Wood, he called it. <laughs> Which is, as far as titles go, almost as random as Never Stray's Papillon. Uh, but Vuelta Milkwood by, I mean, actually, maybe on a, on a future um, Never Stray's France, we should dig out Vuelta Milkwood. I don't know where that file is. And, yeah. and, and replay it if, you, if there's an audience clamour for it. But mm. in the meantime, uh, out of the blue and totally unsolicited, I received an email from... Um, uh, from Geraint. And by the way, if you do want to, there is a special little cheeky email address that I've created because I'm quite good at the internet. So I literally know how to create an email address. You're very good at the internet, Ned. Um, and th- uh, th- there is an email address that is h-i-w-t-y-j at gmail.com. That's how good you are at the internet. You can. It's a really catchy catchy thing we'll put it in the show notes the email h-i-w-t-y-j at gmail.com is how you you contact never strays france (laughs) what does that acronym stand for how i won the yellow jumper okay uh which is a book i wrote a bit like matt rendell wrote some columbia um anyway geraint rollins out of the blue contacted me with an audio file and uh he has uh this was just before the tour de france got underway with this magnificent Dylan Thomas under Milkwood style preview to the next three weeks of racing. Ah, my little butterfly. The grandest of grand tours approaches with hopes, dreams and impending sorrow muddled in the minds of our start line. Some will fail, falter, while others flourish at the altar of pain, misery, and glory. The Breton, a brief escape to a landscape of seagulls and botany of Brittany. A chase across the country to Le Crusoe, a melting pot that catapults us to the Alpine cameo before Ventoux and Ventoux. Carcassonne, the Perisode, Po, and a drop of Saint Emilion. All to find a winner. All to find who will lift a lion aloft on the Elysee. The champion awaits within us all. That's just different uh, class. Uh, Geraint, you're a legend. Uh, it's. Um, it's I Keep him I, coming as well because yeah. his content, you know, it's buying his whole minutes of content. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's sublime. Yeah. 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 So back to the race. Well, back to the podcast, really. Okay, back to the podcast. <laughs> How's this going to work? Because you and I are both on the ITV cycling podcast uh, with Matt Rendell and Pete Kenyuk. So I guess it's probably anecdotes from the road. And so stage three uh, is today. And so we've been commentating. Uh, for two days. It, for two days. Mm-hmm. And remember your little um, show of emotion about 10 days ago in regards how boring the first week was going to be? Oh, mate. How wrong was I? Mm. Mind you, I never said the opening weekend was no, really I don't think you said boring, did you? 
Yeah, or might, you, might you actually been. used that word. Might, okay. <laughs> it's not been done. It's not been boring yet. It's not been it? boring. No, it's been. And so I guess it's, it's, there's, there's two things with this. We can actually be ourselves, uh, rather because with television, we're speaking to quite a lot of people. Yeah. And we can't promote our books or our brands number one we what, also you have a brand to promote? i have a brand called chapter three i don't yeah. know yet didn't yeah know that. so exciting okay. lifestyle brand it's amazing yeah we do go to our website yeah. it's um but i'll come back onto that later anyway yeah maybe not just remind me as well yeah. i've been sent a message yeah. that i've got to promote. yeah we do actually have read to do it yet. that um, um we'll come on to that because that's a really important part of it but, but i think it's more the fact yeah. that, that we can be uh that we we walk a tightrope as as commentators uh to not be too biased or have emotional opinions, although we do show our emotions, that's part of the job. But in this, we can review things because often what we're doing is is very instantaneous in the moment. And there is emotion in there that is clear. Yet now we can, with a little bit of hindsight, and granted, uh, it's Monday morning, um, so it's not much hindsight, we can talk, review a little bit of what we've seen and discuss it maybe with different opinions, maybe. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it, it, you're absolutely right. The job of a commentator is to, and it's kind of not easy, actually. I have to say, even mm-hmm. now, we've been doing it for five or six years or whatever we've been doing this job for. But, but yeah, to 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 summon up instantaneously the appropriate emotion at each, and we've had a lot of emotion so a far. A lot of emotion. Sort of yeah, I mean, genuinely a lot of emotion, not fabricated. It's been quite deep. It's been, I think what's been pretty amazing, even on stage one, the crashes cause a lot of emotion because especially we haven't seen those in a long time, those big spectacular pileups. I mean, whole road blocked in that first crash Mm -hmm. on stage one. And I think everybody can relate to that somehow because there's such that uh, it's, Everyone empathizes with falling off a bike for starters and nobody actually ever sees a bike crash. And when you see it pile up like that, it's, it's extreme. And you do know that so many of these athletes have been preparing, training, working all this time. And I think it was mixed up with that first crash was just how anomalous it was. It was a spectator. And then again, that's mixed emotions because everybody wants a spectator. That was the irony. We got the spectators back. They're all here. It's amazing. And then boom. The yep. spectator takes down the peloton. Oh, yeah. And so that's that already that's emotional because you're like, oh, that's horrible. And everyone's beating down on that spectator. Fair Which enough. Which I find very well. well no, 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 fair, not, no, 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 in at Mates Stone Studios with your your previous career in television, which was football, mm. with a football team, and and we dined with two of your old colleagues last night, and we're explaining a bit cycling mm. and the, the difference between football and cycling commentary and yep. the event as a whole. And bike racing, I think, what was amazing uh, on stage one, it reminded us of the what's it, just the chaos and the randomness of it. Yep, it's. A football pitch and most sports are contained and controlled. Cycling is just an absolute madness. And and I think stage one exemplified and reminded everybody of that. And so and before we even got to the finish. Well, and you talk about fine lines, you know, the the, the fine line of what is road racing depends on 
depends on chaos, doesn't it? Are you mm. spoken about this on our podcast yeah. before? I think it depends on chaos. It's dependent, and yet yeah. sometimes chaos crosses the line. Yeah, and it, cro- and it crossed the literally. line. Literally, you know? li- yeah, that's exactly right. It yeah. literally crossed the line yeah. when that spectator. Do you know what occurred to me as well? Thinking about it was that Tony Martin was the first rider who went down mm. yeah, when the spectator with the the, the silly little sign did the mm. wrong thing, mm. a, a mistake. Unfortunately, fortunately, they, you know, it, there were there were there were no tragic consequences. There mm. could have been. Mm. There were no tragic consequences. There were severe consequences, but mm. no tragic consequences. But whatever happens, that person, if they're ever identified, will be publicly shamed now. <clears throat> if not. If well, not, not just publicly shamed. ASO uh, potentially an, prosecuted. Uh, ASO so, have already announced they're going to sue them yeah, when they but, find them. And that's so, and then they've and their statement is I'm uncomfortable to, with this a little bit because I I I'm a, either side of this one to be yeah. to be frank. I think there's there's always the, the the culpability, you have to understand who that person is. It might be the first time in a bike race, there are no rules, you're not being taught, it's excitement. We don't know what the relationship is with the grandfather and grandmother in Germany. Ten years yeah. ago, David Miller. This has only just occurred to me, so I might, it might be floating facts slightly. Mm. But 10 years ago, 2011 Tour de France, Johnny Hugoland. Yeah. Right? Juan Antonio Fletcher. Barbed wire. We all remember that, the barbed wire mm. and the, the appalling, I mean, almost life-threatening mm. crash there that was uh, the direct result of an inexperienced driver driving a TV car mm. and being called forward and overtaking at the wrong moment and swerving to avoid a tree mm. with terrible consequences. Now, ASO, as far as I remember, did their best to actually protect that person. Mm. Their name was never put into the public domain, right? Yeah. Okay, it's one of them. One of them, basically. They were in the club. Mm. Mm. It's a person by the side of the road who does something less egregious than that. Yeah. Less egregious. And all of a sudden, they're after them. Mm. And I'm uncomfortable with it, right? I I think that's a, a fair position. The person has made a terrible mistake, an unrepeatable mistake. They know what they've done. They'll mm. actually live with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Right? That's enough. Mm-hmm. And the message has been sent out. This can't happen. You know. Just, yeah. It will happen again because it's a literally a one in a million thing. But anyway, going back to what I wanted to say about the kind of human cost of, of that incident. And I don't want this. This is terribly down all of a sudden, isn't it? But Tony Martin went down. And I was reminded of just because of a written project that I've been working on recently. I've built up a, quite a strong relationship with Tony's dad. Oh, really? The, Carsten. Oh. Um, so uh, he's got, he must be interesting because they come, came from the Eastern Bloc. Absolutely. That's yeah. a whole different story. And yeah. actually one of the reasons why uh, I've been talking yeah. to him, but Carsten is, has become someone I walked up with quite regularly. Mm. Um, and uh, he's a very emotional guy, Tony's dad. Mm. And um, Tony's very close to him. And only a week before, Carsten had sent me, I hadn't heard from him from, for a few weeks. Carsten sent me a little kind of a WhatsApp video that he'd filmed on his phone mm-hmm. without commentary, without a, a supporting text of his son on the podium of wherever the hell the national individual time trial championship was yeah. in Germany, uh, pulling on his 10th gold medal, huh. right? Pride. He's so pr- He's proud of his son yeah. who's in his mid thirties. Yeah. You know, he should be. He's incredibly proud. Yeah. And then, so to go from that to Tony, I just, you know, Mm. the violence with which he and then everyone else hit the deck. Anyway. But yeah, so that was one, that that was, was, that was an emotional thing. And it's even that discussion, that conversation is, is a polemic now. It's been turned into and, but there are reasons and there, everyone's going to have their different position on it. But everybody essentially got through it. Chris Froome, I was joking yesterday, should have just stayed down. Um, because, and 
because it felt like, oh, Chris, this is just never ending. But I said that about Cav as well in different ways, uh, in the sense that the, the decline. I, I find it harder to see how Chris Froome's going to come back from where he is yeah, in his career. It's given it's given this yeah. it's given this comeback for Chris Froome a little bit of texture. The fact mm. that he's had the yeah the bulls, the bulls actually yeah. just not to go home because he's bad, he's he quite badly bashed up yeah. and he could have done he could have yeah. just taken a blighty wound yeah. there and, and 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 gone home yeah so there was that and then so that was one crash and it was changed the shape of the race slightly and but most of them got through then the second crash was even more spectacular oh. it was like seriously two of those pilots so yesterday before we came on air with stage two um Gary Imlach, Matt Rendell, and I, the, before you'd arrived at work, actually, David, because you have a, you know, slightly later call time, don't you? A bit special. Um, we, were, we were in the truck <laughs> analysing all the footage that we had, frame by frame. Oh, trying really? to actually, because, you know, there is so, there was so Do much. Do we know who the B&B rider was that went down there? Uh, we're pretty sure it was Cyril Lemoine, who then... One of the Cyrils. One of the Cyrils. Cyril well, the Cyril down. Mm. One Cyril down. Cyril's down! Cyril down! <laughs> There's a Cyril down. Cyril one down. <laughs> Just three Cyrils and but he was one of he was one yeah. of about fifteen riders who went to the hospital in Brest. Oh, you know, at the end of stage one. Mm. Um, but but uh, yeah, I think it was him. But it was incredible to watch from the helicopter. Yeah, some previously you know footage that I don't think was played into the live program that mm. we got our hands on. We mm. kind of could unpick it a little bit more. There's a lot of riders we couldn't identify. But my word, carnage! I mean, there was a there was a moment at which a mother. Sorry, I, I see, have no I've idea seen it. there's a mother. No, no, I've seen but, it, yeah, because that went on an social. Were in charge of a, a very young kid. Yeah. Were literally, like, she was picking up the kid Graf- and running for the hills, you know, like... That was amazing. Hiding was, in a, in a yeah. ditch to avoid the car. It was like a it scene was, it from was a, a war. Yeah, it was a, like a natural... I think it went round because it was the, the the intonation of that, that micro-event. It was a, a mother's natural instinct because it looked like she had her phone in one hand and she was videoing. Absolutely. Then all of a sudden the carnage was coming and her, her little boy was just in front of her and she just, with her right arm, just picked him up by the scruff of the neck and ripped him around and put him behind her. And it was like, whoa. And, and that must have happened in the space of a second and a half, two seconds. I mean, she just went boom and picked him up and ripped him around and put her, put him behind her back. And I was like, I'll take the impact. And you just, and I was like, it was such a beautiful moment amongst, and again, going back to the emotion and the madness of the Tour de France. How does that, there's no other event in the world where where that sort of thing's still happening, where a mother's going to have to potentially, is going to have to (laughs) protect her child from the incoming carnage of the event. We can, we can have this conversation. We can laugh because nothing terrible happened to that child. And and not, nor the mother. Yeah. Nor all the mother. I mean, but it's just. Anyway, but it's brilliant. And I say, so that's, that was one of the parts and part of what this past weekend has been magical about. But then, so you had that. And then the contrast was we were coming in. We had put down three favorites. Everybody had the same. Ala Philippe, the French darling, world champion. You had Matteo van der Poel in the special kit for the day, yeah. uh, especially dis- special dispensation from the UCI to wear a homage to his grandfather's Mercia kit from the 1960s, the yeah. purple and yellow. And you had Welt van Aert, the Belgian national champion. There were there was a B-list. Uh, you had the Michael Matthews. Col- you had Colbrelli. Colbrelli. You even had a Pogaccia who you thought could yeah. do something. And But those three were the A-list for it. Yeah. And it kind of played out that way. But then two things happened. Welt van Aert was caught up in that first crash we were just talking about. And the whole Jumbo Visma went down because they were on the train with Tony Martin. 
and he had to fight back on, which you can't underestimate how difficult that is. Even though there was, he wasn't so injured, he he was the only one that didn't crash, but his bike was broken, borrowed a bike, changed a bike. So he spent 15k sorting himself out. Matteo van der Poel got caught up with his team slightly in that second crash. So he was coming into the bottom climb with in 30th position, approximately 30, 40th position, way too far back. But then something happened because Koenig Quickstep were racing for the win and Alaphilippe, he did something that I think even we were surprised at as commentators. Mm. I can't imagine what they thought in the peloton because it, to, to attack at 2.3 Ks to go was just, what? Yeah. That's a madness. Yeah, it was incredible. But earlier on in the day, um, you and I were commentating. Occasionally, we got a bit of relief, didn't we, in the we form of Matt and Pete Kenyuk. And um, I'd had a really long day yesterday, David. It was a bit longer than yours, I'll be honest. Uh, not, not, sorry, not yesterday, two days ago, um, because I'd already commentated on um, most of La Course as well. Um, so I was already quite tired. Um, we got a bit of... Um, We've got a bit of relief and occasionally I think on this little strand that's not going to be daily because we're too busy, mm. but on this little strand of uh, Never Straits France, we're going to try and give you a bit of an insight of what goes on in our minds. <laughs> in our time off. <laughs> in our time off, which is uh, snatched really in the middle of the day occasionally when Matt and uh, Pete and Chris pick up the commentary. Yes, full of energy and excited to be in the race and you know you kind of forget what's the call well that's the it's the tones of pete kenyuk isn't it that is we're on a break ned on we're on stage a, one of tour de france lunch break lunch without break. any lunch actually what's the time yeah it's 20 past 12 what have you ordered for lunch uh i got a caesar salad with chicken and cheesy chips i kind did of you know that did you know on the other side of the thing there's hot food available i kind of was in a rush yeah, well, I see. I, I went. Panicked. To the, I panicked and I panicked and went for the cheese, chicken cheese, uh, chicken Caesar salad. But then someone said there's hot food on the other side, uh, which I didn't realise. So I got really excited, and I said, "And I got really excited." I said, "Can I have a tuna melt yeah. with sweet corn and yeah. pepper?" Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's just in a baguette, though, isn't it? Yeah, but it's melted. It's hot. I was melted. Okay. And can I have a and and then I said, "Can I have some chips with that as well?" So I'm pretty hungry. Do you know what? To be honest, I'm hanging. I got yeah. up at. Four thirty-five this morning, Ugh. just to make a few more bits and pieces, a few more notes, because it was an early start. I was down here at quarter to seven this mm. morning to watch the La Course, La Course, La Course, the last ever La Course. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was a good race. I, I saw the last fifteen k's. Yeah, it looks like yeah. it was quite animated. It's yeah. the same. Was it the same finish? Same finish as the men's? Uh, yeah, but they did it four times. Yeah. Was on a up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Mm. Um, it's a good climb. It's a good climb. It's a very good climb, isn't it? Like well, it's it. good. Like, Brittany's like really nice. I mean, just watching it now as we're, we're watching it curve around. It's we're in the, the west, southwest of Brittany, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's um, but it's bloody hard bike racing. In the men's race, they do three thousand meters climbing without there ever really being. Well, there's five classified climbs. What say again? Three thousand meters of climbing. What? Yeah, yeah, it's just up and down all day. That's like, that's, that's like, you know, the, well, years since we did it, but always the final day of the four days of Yorkshire. Oh, yeah. That used to be about 3,500 metres of climbing. And we designated that as an absolute nightmare day because it was. So it's that hard. It's that hard. And which is good because it means that that final climb up to the finish, which normally wouldn't be that hard, is going to be harder because of that. And, and, and I guess in the women's race, we saw that a bit because it did rip up, didn't it? 
a little bit towards the end. I mean, it's good racing. I actually ripped up less than I yeah I thought, thought it, it would, but I think that's not because of how difficult the parkour was. I think it was because of the way that it was raced. Actually, yeah, the favourites marking each other, being quite conservative. Um, Who was it? The one Demi Following. Yeah, she won it really well as well. She won it really well. I thought she's, Marianne Voss was going to rip it when well, she launched. See, here's the thing: so Marianne Voss can't carry on winning. She's won a lot this year already, mm. but she's tending now to win. She's almost reverted back a little bit to Voss version one mm-hmm. that used to really win all the slightly flatter stages and had that absolutely vicious sprint and would destroy everyone. And then Voss version two just became Merck's. Yeah, do everything. everything. And now Voss version three, she's in her early 30s, um, is kind of like, oh, she's a little bit vulnerable on the climbs Mm -hmm. now. She's still one of the best in the world, but she's a little bit vulnerable. And they know that. So they all try and drop her. They didn't drop her on this occasion, but she was beaten because Demi Vollering, her compatriot, not her teammate, obviously, is kind of has has a bit of Voss about her. You know, she could be, you know, the next Dutch superstar. She's mm. younger, much younger than Voss van Vluten and van der Breggen. And uh, she's the next one in the production line of kind of dominant Dutch riders. So it was, no, it was not a surprise result at all. It was good to see Cecilia Utrup Ludwig. She launched a huge attack, didn't she? Yeah, uh, she did. She did. Yeah, I, thought I, was... I, can, I, I can say, I'm probably not allowed to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, because our podcast can do what we like, that Cecilia is writing this year for the roadbook. For uh, the, the yeah, you element. met with her when you were in Girona, didn't you? I went up, so I say she's writing it. I'm kind of helping her write it in the yeah. sense that I go and interview her mm-hmm. o- over Zoom or even face-to-face in Girona where she yeah. lives. And I've ca- I'm just catching her thoughts in her words mm. as the year goes on. And it's been a very successful year, you know. She's, she won a stage in Burgos and she was second in La Course. Was just, these are big, this is a big They're year for her. Races, so. And she's great because she's just, she has no filter. Yeah. She's just... She's know. just kind of like, there's no mask, there's nothing. Yeah. She's just raw emotion, actually. She's hmm. it's an extraordinary human being, and her writing reflects that as well. And it's also, she's potty mouth. Is she? <laughs> Danish potty mouth. I have to take a view whether or not I tone down some of the swearing. No, I don't. Because it's F this, F that, and F the other. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. But the Danish kind of do that, though, don't they? Remember when Brian Holm, we interviewed him once on... Oh, like he likes life, to swear. And he was swearing. He's very sweary. Mm. But, yeah... yeah. And, well, that was good then. But that, yeah. So then next year, they got their, their actual Tour de France, which kicks off at the end of it. So yeah. these five years of the yeah. token gesture of La Course. Is it five or four? Yeah, it was a kind of, oh, no, 2014 it started. Oh, so really? Seven years. Seven or eight years, yeah. 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 And, yeah. Um, and then we had about, like, well, I had about kind of 20 minutes off before we were talking about Matthew van der Poel and then talking about the, the men's race starting mm. and rolling out of breast. And now, well, just to let you know, we're waiting for our lunch to be delivered because we can't really leave our post just in case something happens. Matt Rendell and Pete are commentating. There's 160k to go. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, I can't remember what I was going to say. You're out of words, actually. Cause I, might have, I might have run out of words. Yeah. I got. But, I really enjoyed that first bit of commentary because I just... It just means so much, this bike race, doesn't it? It yeah, means it a lot to me. It yeah. means a lot to you, but it means a lot to everyone. You really get the sense that... What well, we were just saying before, yeah. when you look at it, it's... it's and okay, we can't say it's the easiest one to commentate on because all the big hitters are here, so you know everybody. Yeah, and it's um, which yeah. is great. Cause it, and actually, it's the first race as well we're seeing in a long time, well, you know, over a year, where there's actually crowds at the side of the road, so it's got that vibe back. Cows, crowds. Oh, crowds. Crowds. <laughs> <Sorry>. crowds. <laughs> uh, it has got that vibe back. Yeah, 
I tell you, yeah. Vanderport is changing his shoes at the moment, just looking at this. Oh, yeah, you're almost reverting to commentary mode. This is podcasting. I am. Sorry. Yeah, we don't know how to. This is quite difficult, isn't it? Because we are basically in commentary mode. Yeah. But we're podcasting. Press three on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> Top cast po- quality podcast, yeah. that. Well, I just wanted to touch on the women's race anyway, because. Um, it was good. Yeah. It was good. It was good. And, um, yeah. There you go. All right. We'll let you know how today's stage goes. Yeah, at some point. Maybe not today. We might do it tomorrow. Yeah, because we might need a break from talking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, stage one was amazing. Julian Mm. Alaphilippe was Mm. incredible in the end, as you've already described. Mm. And yesterday, um, well, yesterday was kind of... uh, We forgot, actually, just just to... Recap, yeah. just to finish off stage one, you have finally done a prediction that was not only correct, but excelled its potential. Oh. Scaling? Yeah. Glad you mentioned it. <laughs> You're welcome. <man>. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but what's what's so pleasing about it, and I have trumpeted it from the rooftops, because I'm so rarely you right. played it to me this morning. I played it. I put it yes, on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I played it to I made sure. David will have seen that tweet. No, you hadn't. So I played it to you again yesterday morning, um, and uh, and I I, I uh, yeah I'm so pleased with it. I'm so pleased with my Edith. Edith you pleased for him or are you pleased for you? <laughs> I think everyone's pleased. I think Edith Scanning is pleased for me. I think he's really. I think he'd be pleased for you. But uh, yeah, that was a very good spot, and he's a he's a really well, interesting. Guy. And so then yesterday, he then backed it up. <laughs> he backed up. It's like how right I was. <laughs> I think he'd been inspired by. He probably he saw your tweet. My, my tweet yesterday yeah. morning about how his character is defined and how I'd identified it ahead <laughs> of time. Um, he must have seen that because he's, you know, I, I tagged him in. I did that internet thing. Oh, did you? Ah, oh, so he's, his, yeah. he was so there he must have been surfing on the bus. Not sleeping, so he's so excited. Yeah. Oh, and then it pops well, who's up? this oh, crazy so, British guy? Yeah, check this out. Yeah, it's getting a lot of likes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, hey, the British guys like me. They <laughs> think I'm like a surfer dude. <laughs> And also, I'm a oh, good all rounder, and uh, and I like to mug to the camera. <laughs> and do you know oh. what? He was great yesterday, wasn't he? Oh, because man. he got he yeah, he had one job. He had to be in the break to defend it. Otherwise, yeah. it was no chance. Especially when Perez went, it meant that he had to be there. Yeah, and he was going to have to be there, whatever happened. Yeah, and he fought for it. Oh, oh, yeah, three attacks. Yeah, to get in there. But what I quite liked about him is he's, he's a debutant. He's a young rider. He's quite new, new to the World Tour Peloton. But when he didn't make the original break and um, he tried to do those kind of big rampages, you know, to, to try and get across the first one when he got when he got ridden down, he'd been off the front for five minutes. Mm. And then... Um, Which uh, is quite uh, a long time in a, the first uh, 20 minutes of a Tour de France stage yeah. when everyone's attacking. <laughs> yeah. Um, Total Energy rider. I'm not sure whether it was Cabot or someone else actually. They're like a mystery him down. It doesn't really matter. I'm going into too much detail. But they rode him down. He got he got shut down in his in his counter attacking attempt. Mm. And instead of just meekly accepting his fate, um, not only was he preparing to counter attack again, but he also gave it some. Oh, it was, he, he gave you know, it some like like to Tim de Klerk. Yeah, not to annoyed. no one. But he yeah. told Tim de Klerk where to shove it. But it was also then he had to kind of quick step on his wheel and he closed down. Total Energy Rider, and then he just leaned back at the kind of quick step and kind of did a pushing back, yeah. like guys, just let me go. Wait, no, no, just kind of a gesture is just say, "I'm going to go again. Don't bother chasing me because you don't need to, <laughs> because you're going to catch me later anyway. This has nothing to do with you. Just go." And there was just, I mean, he's smart. 
you know, it was kind of because even I think to kind of quick, quick sort of like, yeah, you can go, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. And it was, but then he did make it across. And then there was one of those moments which was amazing. We had one of those breaks again of commentary. And during yeah. that break of commentary, oh, we, that was so funny. Rendellero was commentating, wasn't he, yeah. with, um, with Pete? Yeah, and they 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 commentated that amazing um, sprint sprint between yeah. the, the kind of elongated sprint between yeah. Perez and uh, the whole climb, the two attacks beforehand. It was just this uh, whole just race and race, and it's, and you and I actually ended up on our feet. Like that's what I was saying. Literally, we can't do that in commentary. Literally, cheer. yes, exactly. So, Things that we couldn't do in commentary. We were we were in our commentary positions, but not on air. Yeah, cheering and clapping quite literally, and it, it was, was amazing. Just, it was great. Yeah, so that was. Um, so that all got closed down. He defended his jersey up to that point, yeah. and it looked like it was a done deal. Yeah. yeah. And then we were coming to towards Muir Britannia. The race was kind of calmed down, and yeah. they caught the final two riders. And then they hit Muir Britannia the first time, and Matteo van der Poel went. He did. But before any of that happened, we during that break that you oh, just yeah, described... Oh, yeah, the break. We, yeah, let's do the break. Um, Boardman took over, didn't he? Talking to Rendell for a little bit. Mm. And uh, they were commentating away beautifully. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that lovely... Combination of Chris Boardman's sang-froid, sang-froid. and Matt Rendell's mellifluousness. Mellif- what does that mean? Mellifluosity? What Mellif- does that mean? Well, if you're mellifluous, you're a bit like... You know, we've often spoken about um, France Television have History Guy. Yeah. Don't know his name, because he's recently been replaced, hasn't he? So oh, new what? History really? Guy. Old History Guy's gone. Oh, he was a character. They've got, they've got kind of a youngish, early middle-aged, suave History Guy now. Obviously, Who, it's going to be beautiful. Oh, he's, he's, he's beautiful. He's mellifluous. Yeah. Chateau. It's a bâtiment superbe. So that's how Rendell mm. commentates. And right, so you've got, you've got a bit of that. You've got a bit of Matronne. And you've got a bit of Chris Bourbon. No, I understand now. Yeah, and um, they were commentating, but I was irritated because I'd done a lot of research on some random information, never straying too far from the Tour de France, actually straying quite a long way, that I hadn't been able to use. Brittany all over, isn't it? As you say, yes. (laughs) The sun comes out and 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 shines and it all looks beautiful and then five minutes later it's absolute well matt and chris are, are holding the commentary position as well mm, dave yes. so that's, it's, this is stage two right now we're at stage two yeah but we, we didn't are. show the whole stage today right so no we, no i thought because i was caught out i thought we were coming in for full stage but evidently uh we're yeah. getting a little bit getting a bit easier isn't it we missed yeah. out the first oh, 30 k's or so it was long i mean i loved it i absolutely loved it but it was quite it was quite long it was quite long. Quite long good stage. What facts you got next? You're not being, not being able to get all your Brittany facts Well, that's, in. The, that's the reason why we're recording this little segment, oh, because nice. there's some amazing stuff. I love Brittany, yeah. I, I'm Big fan I of tell Brittany. you what, I'm, I've got fresh eyes in it now, watching these helicopter shots. It's just stunning. It's like, it's like a landscape that someone's chucked a massive rock at, and it's smashed it to bits, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's so like, shattered. Yeah, it's like oh. Cornwall on steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, uh, yeah, so we missed the first 30 kilometres or so before we came on air. And that's when I'd, I'd made assiduous notes about various different pieces um, of information that I got. That, that, that then we all, we saw on the feed that we were looking at, but I didn't have the opportunity to um, didn't have the opportunity to commentate on. So, with that in mind, I wanted to tell you specifically about two things, David. Tell me, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through my book now because I've forgotten them. And hold I on, to keep my eye on the screens at the same time. You keep your eye on the screen because uh, the race is still going on. Oh, where is it? 
Where is it now? Just because we're waiting for Ned to find his facts. <laughs> we did just watch an intermediate sprint and actually Mark Cavendish gave it a go. He gave it a nudge, didn't he? And he was in a very big gear. He's, um, Pete Kenya came in and said he's noted he's been in a big gear the whole time. We we don't know what that's for, but there probably is a conscious reason for it. Yeah. Oh, here we are. Costayer Castle, just on the outskirts of where the stage started today in uh, uh, Peros Girec, right? Mm. An amazing. That amazing castle that... Um, Gary Imlach actually commented on at the top of the live show, which is <clears throat> pig. Uh, yeah, you know, it's made from yeah. the local ro- granite, rose granite. Rose granite. And uh, just behind it on the coastline <clears throat> are all the kind of a uh, granity, pit rose granite cliffs and everything. And it's properly kind of like, it's a 19th century castle, but it's got those kind of like um, medieval faux turrets and all that sort of thing, right? Big old privately owned house. Owned these oh, days. Oh, right. yeah, I saw this as well. This is amazing. Owned these je- days, uh, David, by a um, a uh, German uh, actor who, whose name mean, meant nothing to me, I have to admit. So that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is who used to own it. And um, it was built, yes. That's our director just coming in to tell us what to do. So we're right. pretending we're not podcasting, but okay. So reference to Baldwin, Baldwin, and you know all the greats. Yes, all the greats. We will be ready to go. Yeah. It was owned by. It was built by um, a man called Bruno Abak- Abakanovich, who's a Polish mathematician and inventor. Polish mathematician and inventor. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who's, he must right. have been done pretty well. Uh, he did extremely well. He settled in Paris, right? What but, did he invent? Well, what he invented. Um, left me wondering whether our readers might be able to help me out. Right? He invented and patented a integrator, okay, a parabolograph, a spirograph, the electric bell used in trains, and an electric arc lamp of his own design. I don't know what an integrator is. It won't surprise you uh, to, to hear. But I looked on Wikipedia to and find out what an integrator is. An integrator in measurement and control applications is an element whose output signal is the time integral of its input signal. Wowzers. I don't think I've ever seen a sentence or read a sentence that meant less to me than that did. No. It's one of those ones that kind of does make sense, but then you think about it and you're like, no, that makes no sense. It makes because sense. Because it was basically saying it's the output is exactly the same as the input. Yeah, yeah. And then... A few, f- few kilometres further up, right? Seen from the helicopter shot, there was a great big... You know those um, listening stations that look like great big golf balls? The Rodam. The Rodam, okay. Yeah. That, this construction is um, has great his, uh, historical importance in the television world, actually. I read this as well. Because it was built for... The do, do moon landings. The well, they used it for the moon landings. But they I don't used it the, for the moon landings. But I don't know what it was built for. Well, it was, it was built... Um, it was the first ever pictures that were transmitted via satellites... From America oh. into by, via the first ever geostationary TV satellite, the Telstar One, oh. um, and they were received across the Atlantic here wow. in France. Right now, at the top of our TV truck here, we have a satellite dish that's not dissimilar to the kind of satellite dishes you may have mm-hmm. at home that receive high definition, top quality pictures right from all across the world at the flick mm-hmm. of a switch and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. In order to receive even vaguely half-decent pictures, black and white pictures, in 1962, they had to build this damn thing. Right? Wow. So underneath this golf ball construction is a 340-ton antenna satellite dish Jeez. Um, brought over from the United States by sea and assembled on a circular rail and placed on a 4,000-cubic-metre uh, concrete slab 
1,250 people were involved in its construction. That's not shabby, is and it? And that is just a, that was the first ever satellite dish huh. that, that received images from America. Wow! And what was interesting about that as well is people kind of forget that before that existed, it was all by these huge submarine telephone cables. These yeah. huge cables, which, which were crazy, couldn't carry that much information. No, Thirty-six television channels pictures. maximum. Yeah. yeah, But I said to Dave Thwaites, our technical genius, mm. I said, "How come? How come that you used to have to have a satellite dish that big to get any kind of pictures mm. out of space?" And now you can do it basically probably with your iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the reason being that the first satellites, the Telstar satellite, was a teeny tiny puny little thing that couldn't transmit, didn't have the power. It's a teeny tiny signal. So the teeny, it's a teeny tiny signal. So it's just piddling, it was piddling a signal. Huge receptor. Yeah. Just to kind of amplify it. Huh. Those are good facts, Ned. That's a nice jump from, yeah. from chateaus and castles. All right, yeah, we're going to have to comment in a second, as you just heard. But yeah. 86k to go. Um, I'm going to force you to make a prediction. I'm not force you, that's stupid, but uh, I, I'll I, ask you to You said Matteo van der Poel, who, who I would have taken. Um, you can take, uh, take Matteo van der Poel. Can Matthew I? Because I'd less like him. I'd like him to win. Yeah. Why would you like him to win? I just think he looks good in a bike. <laughs> just aesthetic reasons, really. Yeah, okay. I think he's a good role model. He mountain bikes, he cyclocrosses. Yeah. He doesn't really care. Yeah, he doesn't really like the Tour de France. No, it's like kind of like a burden that he has to do the Tour de France. He'd mm, rather go and just race his mountain bike in Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. All right. It's pouring with rain in Brittany now. Chucking. Absolutely chucking now. All right. Very good. Then, shortly after that, David, you got yourself into all sorts of trouble on air. And on the internet, uh, by your um, by your uh, lack of knowledge <laughs> uh, about yeah. um, uh, well, it was, about bananas, it was about refuse, um, about refuse, about refuse. Which is interesting because I'd literally taken you on a guided tour uh, around London just a few days before that included an incinerator and spoken about recycling and kind of mm. sustainability and all issues. And you I put know. your foot in it big time. So any any kind of kudos that we might have garnered for that you you just frittered it away yeah so um we saw a rider at the front of the peloton jettison something lucas pustelberger ah lucas pustelberger almost hits tim de Klerk in the face with a banana skin ah that's what it was so there was a, a brief moment of ooh, was what was that because that was on tv he could get fined or thrown out the race for throwing rubbish according to new uci rules and you pointed out very quickly with uh, your your amazing reflexes that it was a banana skin i don't and, know if it was wasn't it? Was it might it? have been floating fact. Okay, well, it actually might not have happened in that sense. It could have been rubbish. I don't think it was. I think it was a banana skin. Well, if it had that weight, plastic doesn't fly like that, does it? No. Um, and I was like, oh, that's fine. It's a banana skin. I said, I'll let my kids do that. They just can throw it in the countryside. Yeah, always. I said, I don't think there's a problem with that. Um, uh, it's biodegradable. And immediately on Twitter, there are dozens of messages saying, well, they're not biodegradable. It takes two years and they destroy the countryside and the natural habitat. So I apologize for that. Because yep. um, my children will never be throwing a banana skin out of the car window ever again. Yeah. And probably not apple cores either. Yeah. But there was, there was quite a lot, yesterday in commentary, there was, there was quite a lot of, you know, we, we do our best, don't we, to a little, mm. little, little bit like this, uh, this podcast. We do our best to be correct mm. and informative. But there was quite a lot of correction going on one way or another, wasn't there? Yeah. And, uh, like in commentary the other day, I can't remember which day, I think it was, I think it was two days ago, actually in stage one, I think. We were upbraided for not knowing the exact distance or anything approaching the that exact distance. Paris-Brest. Paris. Paris. It's a lot longer than we thought it was. You started at 
five six hundred. I opened the bidding at six or seven hundred. I think no, you were six hundred, five six hundred. Because I went, that... I went seven eight. I think I, I don't think I went to eight. I think I went to seven because I thought seven hundred was still a very long way. Ends up it's twelve hundred kilometers. Twelve hundred, mm. yeah. But I guess that also just goes to show how far, how big France is. It's 600 k's from Paris to Brest. It is a huge country. It's a big country because that doesn't look that big on the map. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess it does if you look But at we experience that every year, don't we, normally, when we're not mm. in Maidstone. Mm. Um, just how enormous the Loss of perspective. Yeah. Um, so, yes, then we've got some of the Britannia, which you know. Well, no, hang on, hang on. So, where are we now? Well, where are we now? We are, well, I think you had to, I think you actually had to own that little banana yeah, but I did that on, on commentary live. Oh, I did it. Oh, yeah, no, I've yeah, done you that. Don't, I, yeah, I, I you have yeah. so got a formal apology, this actually. Is, this is actually a formal apology that David Miller recorded mid-commentary, actually. Um, but he, he secretly did a bit of moonlighting just, just for you, really. Rien de rien. Non, I'd like to interrupt this podcast briefly because uh, 55 kilometers to go on stage two, I uh, said that it was okay to throw banana skins into the countryside. And it's been brought to my attention that's not the case, that they take two years to biodegrade. I have to formally apologize to everybody on Twitter who is abusing me. Thank you. Uh, so banana gate is behind you david you need to move on i the thing is when it's got gates it just tends not to go away for a while it's trending briefly with, with one person yeah on twitter wasn't no, it they're normally the most influential negative <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um, if they keep it up it'll just get blocked it's fine yeah. but I, I, it was a useful bit of information i treasure it and thank you very much sorry about that can i just say and i said this on the itv podcast last night a little bit but i want to reiterate it i thought your interpretation of Matthew van der Poel's victory yesterday was blindingly good. Oh, blindingly you, good. Because, because you were right, actually. Mm. <laughs> you were right. And it yeah. was such an unexpected move. Almost unprecedented. Mm. I can't think of a precedent, but I, you know, you've got a, a deeper, longer knowledge of the tour than me. I mean, I can't think of someone who's been able to do that. But essentially, your, 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 your interpretation that wasn't instantaneous, because it couldn't have been, but, but with a little bit of reflection, only a few seconds or minutes, you figured out that um, Matthew van der Poel's attack on the first ascent of Mur de Bretagne was controlled, mm. was calculated, and was not full-blooded, and that he was holding it back for the win, and you were bang on. Now, I, I honestly, yeah. David, that was very good. Yeah, I can't... Again, it's the power of hindsight and doing it going through that because when it happened i because that's the fan in me i was like oh he's going he's going long and it was such a huge attack again and this is because there is no precedent in modern cycling for big hitters like like that to hit out from the peloton it was still a peloton that far out and without it being a committed all-in move to for the for the race win for some reason because he's the favorite for the stage and so it was like, well, if he's going now, it's because he's going to try and create a huge exploit. But then he kind of went, but then he kept looking behind. And and my first thing was, oh, he was hoping people would go with him. Or they're not yeah. coming or he's not feeling so good. And then, then you saw him and he looked repeatedly over his shoulder. 
And it was only once it kind of it was completed and he got to the top and got the points. And he got the points just as much as he needed to by yep. like a second or two seconds yep. from uh, rapidly closing Pogaccia and Alaphilippe. So he provokes the GC leaders to start chasing him. Yep. Let's not forget it's Matteo van der Poel. When a rider like that goes, it triggers the whole race. And it started to burn through Ineos Grenadiers. They were trying to, they couldn't. Richie Port couldn't do it. Then UAE tried. But then it was the repeated looks over the shoulder. Then when he got over the top and started just sliding back in, that's when I said to you, I think maybe that was planned, that that he was just going there for the seconds. And it was like, hang on a second. Yeah. What the hell? What is He's that? about to do something that yeah. nobody has done in modern cycling history, to do two huge moves in the final six, in the finale, as we call it. Yeah. But even at that point, it was like, okay, well, that's mega, but how the hell are you going to pull that off? Must be that he's just going to, then follow and go for the sprint at the top. But then you pointed out, well, he's going to need to get seconds. He needs a gap to win now because he, he scored the eight seconds at yeah, the top. Yeah, it would have equalised it. It would have yeah. equalised it with Alaphilippe. Then it would have gone to some sort of... So like, he yeah. then knew when he got to the Britannia next time in order not just to win the stage and he was chasing the yellow jersey. So I guess today, now in hindsight, the stage win was just a, a, a bonus. What he was racing for today was the yellow jersey. Yeah. And that's what he was doing. So at first we thought he was just going for the stage win. no. It was all about the yellow jersey. And so when they got to Muir Britannia the second time, and it started to hit off, and his attack on the first time provoked, by the time everyone caught up with him, it was just leaders left and GC races, because that's just how good he is and, and the sort of action it provokes. Uh, but then the second time, the race hit off, and when he went, holy shit. Oh, you've just sworn on our podcast. I know, we can, you can edit it out. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. It was amazing. It was just one of those things where he exploded off like it was his first attack, like he'd been biding time all day. And he took it to the line. And I think it's, it's one, of the most, uh, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. When you attach the, the emotional luggage that that win oh, carried. Oh, my word. And the emotion that he showed at the yeah. end. Uh, and, and I think just that the... Everybody felt it and just the, the pointing and just the how good he looked and the mission he was on. And it was in, in stark contrast to the day before, which on stage one, I noticed, and I've spoken to you about this, is he was devastated when he crossed the line. Yeah, He came across... And he was the first person to congratulate Julian Alaphilippe. The helicopter lifted up or was showing above shot and it showed Alaphilippe with all this, this entourage around him, the congratulations. And then there was this figure next to, next to Alaphilippe, next to that crowd, on his own, mm-hmm. no entourage, no staff, mm-hmm. just on his handlebars and looking devastated because yeah. it meant so much because Raymond Pulador, his grandfather, who was, he was so close to, never wore the yellow jersey. Yep. And he's done it. He did what his grandfather couldn't do and who, who he loved who clearly all the imagery and all the stories we know who is incredibly close to him. And so I, I think, and then the post-race interview was one of the most uh, wonderfully, uh, how would I put it? Um, respectful and elegant ways to show emotion. There was no breaking down. He was just, there was, you could see it. But at one point, and he said, who are you thinking of today? And it was my granddad, of course. And it was just the, the honesty in that answer yeah. carried so much weight there was he wasn't even trying to 
it was just it didn't you could formulate see, a, a, yeah. a wider no it was just all he needed to say was yeah. my granddad my granddad of course yeah. and before that it was and he said yeah everything he's like i don't have any words right now and he just went completely silent yeah and then he kept himself together you could see it was emotional but then he said my granddad of course and he thought well jesus that doesn't happen very much in sport these days so yeah so as a so the first two days have been pretty intense ned today the race starts in lorient Ah, Lorient. Uh, Lorient is amazing. I've mm. done for for reasons that I hope you will all discover in, in over the next year or two. I've done a lot of reading about Lorient recently. Mm. Uh, Lorient is uh, I was destroyed, you know, seventy years yeah. ago in the Second World War because it was um, of massive strategic importance to the German occupying mm. army. Um, they built this uh, huge submarine base there, reinforced it you know, kind of many times over. And then nine days, I think I'm right in saying nine days after Berlin surrendered, the, it was called La Poche de Lorient. Uh, there was a pocket surrounded by... The, so when the Normandy landings happened uh, and and uh, the, the Americans and the British swept and other forces obviously swept kind of south into Brittany, took Brest eventually, mm. you know, swept south and west and then headed east you know, mm. to try and push the Germans back. They realized that uh, Lorient would be heavily defended by the German uh, forces that were stationed there. And they kind of went, we'll deal with that later Oof. and pushed on. And there was a this front line of sorts that existed in, in a kind of cordon around Lorient. And uh, it was called the, the pocket, La Poche de Lorient. And uh, it was only nine days after Berlin had surrendered that the German forces finally gave up in, uh, in, in, in Lorient. Wow. But all the while, all the while they had, um, they had been kind of supplied, you know, in, in, in between the Normandy landings in, in, in the summer of 1944 and the eventual surrender of Germany in 1945 uh, by supplies that had come in by mm. sea at great peril. Mm. Um, to kind of keep them keep them all alive as well as kind of very very ingenious um uh what do you call it um uh, what do you call it when you, you grow your own food or i can't remember yeah. my, i've lost i've, I've run out, out of words, we've run out of words. yeah kind of sustainable they, they, they yeah. and also Allot amazing allotments yeah well almost i mean they kind of ripped up they were growing subsistence, their, they, subsistence. subsistence. thank you that's it yeah. and they, they'd also done things like they kind of um, created their own distilleries and things. Mm. The Germans there, and kind of like we're, 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 it's quite we're a weird, distilling yeah, potato yeah. vodka and all that sort of thing, and selling it to the French. Mm. It's quite a weird concept. Absolutely thinking, amazing because the majority of them there by that point probably quite liked living there and made friends. It's yeah, because they weren't all bad people, <laughs> you know. So and, 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 you know, yeah, exactly. War is wars, wars mm, just done by people and yeah. people under instruction to yeah. be at war. Yeah, um, and sometimes that all falls down. But that is not really the point of. Uh, me saying that today's stage starts from Lorient. Uh, because, David, I'm going to show you the profile now. What do you think? What do you think? Well, I think there's a couple of things to this stage because one of the, uh, I hate to say B story, but it's not a B story because it's actually probably one of the biggest narratives of this year's Tour de France is Mark Cavendish. I absolutely and, agree. And he's there. And he actually, in yesterday's stage, gave a good punt at the intermediate sprint. And was far from disgraceful. And then he did his he did his yeah. practicing on the front, didn't yeah. he? In the in the final, yeah. front, he and so cycling fast. He's there and he's looking good. And this these next five days are they they have the potential to to become one of the greatest comebacks in sport. 
one of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I put that out, didn't I, the other day? And um, uh, Lawrence Lustig, I have to credit, who's a photographer who works in darts and boxing. And he's a very, very respected photographer. He messaged me to say, yeah, you say the greatest sporting comeback of all time. How about George Foreman? Yeah. Uh, I don't know enough about boxing. Muhammad to Ali. To Muhammad yeah, Ali. But anyway, in cycling, without yeah. doubt. So tomorrow it, it is a sprint finish, but it is a, quite a hard final 10, 15 Ks. No, not classified, but it's accidenté, as yeah. the, the French would say. It's Do up and it's down. it's too hard for Mark Cavendish? No, no, not in the fitness he's got at the moment. But what's really interesting is I don't think he'll be going all in for he'll he'll go all in but his head's two or three stages down the road and probably exactly like you pointed at Chateauroux where because that is a stage he knows that he wins in but it's his first ever win and also it's going to take him a couple of days to get up to speed if he wins tomorrow it will be phenomenal and I wouldn't (laughs) put it past him but I also think he'll be there and uh, be practicing you're such a fan I'm such a fan it's brilliant I love him like five yeah. years ago, yeah, but you're just a fan generally now. I am such a fan, yeah. And I, I don't think you were so. five years ago because no, you're still, 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 still too close to it. You're still too close to it. You are year on year. You are uh, just turning into the most ludicrous schlug. I'm a super. You always schlug. accuse me of schlugging, but you know. Oh uh, well, you see me. I just get so into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very passionate about the sport. That's why I became a professional in the first place. I'm but waiting yeah, yeah, I'm for the moment it. when it, it'll happen at some point. <laughs> Believe me, it'll happen. You might not think it, but it will happen. <laughs> When you pose for a selfie with a young rider who you just greatly admire. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll ask you to take the picture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, tomorrow, I think, is going to be... Um, Today. Uh, yeah, but I mean, tom- tomorrow, well, tomorrow is the time trial. Tomorrow is the time trial. I thought it was Wednesday. Am I wrong? Wednesday. But it's... Yeah, uh, well, well, to, to... Stage five to, uh, is a time trial. Oh. I know all about the Tour de France. I've done my prep. Don't question me. Floating fact. I thought stage five was. A I might do an edit one. here. Um. Anyway, so um. <laughs> edit Listen, that bit. it's very difficult. The Tour de France is complicated, dear Never Strays France listener, and you know better than what well, you are. Let's just let just. All right. Tomorrow's listen, probably going to be a sprint listeners, day. Listeners, do us a favour, right? And today's going to be. If you've heard day. this, don't tell. The people, well, certainly don't tell the people at the cycling. Oh, by the way, I had a dream. Oh. Yeah. I was about to use the word the cycling podcast. Those guys are so clued up. They really know. They wouldn't They're go very good. which day is the time trial, yeah. would they? They wouldn't go. They wouldn't do that. I right? don't believe it. It's, it's but Tuesday. Had, it's to, you know it's not tomorrow. You. Surely the time trial. I thought, well, I thought Chateauroux was, was no, Thursday. No, stage six. Which is I don't Thursday. Know. Is it? Yeah. One, two, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Stage six. So stage five is Fougère. So that's not the time trial. That's not the time trial. That's just another sprint. Oh, so tomorrow is a time trial. Uh, yeah. Okay. My mistake. Sorry. Okay. But it doesn't matter. I'm not going to hammer you for it because actually what I want to tell you about is my dream that I had. Go for it. Last night. I'm ready. Um, it's, uh, I'm listening. Well, I've just woken up from it. It's uh, kind of perplexing me. But I've already messaged home and I may have some information on my dream. I dreamt that I dreamt that I was sitting on a, on a, on a we have this little bench in our garden and uh, it was a sunny evening, it was warm, but I was very much distracted by um, tiny baby slugs 
that would obviously it would kind of nest. Do they nest? I don't know. They were, but they were all over the place. And I was kind of brushing them. They were climbing quite rapidly up my legs, and I was kind of trying to brush them off and all that sort of thing. It was an obsessing dream. No one likes slugs doing no, that. No. And so I, um, I woke up actually in one of those kind of <laughs> oh, slugs. It's okay. I'm in the Marriott Hotel. It's all right. There are no slugs here. Um, um, and that's how it stopped. And I, but I messaged home and said, good morning, everyone, to, to my family mm. and all that sort of thing. Mm. And, um, and my partner sent me a picture later on, actually, uh, just a little bit later. She sent me a picture of um, our bedroom where uh, I think it's been quite wet in London mm. as well as Maidstone. And um, I think she must have been sleeping with the window open and a snail has somehow managed to manoeuvre itself over our windowsill into our bedroom and mm. climbed, climbed a little bit up our bedroom wall. Really? And she sent me a picture of a snail climbing our bedroom wall. Hmm. My, so, I think I know what this dream is, by the way. Well, it's an amazing bit of kind of like... Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Mm. I don't so, think it's an imposter syndrome dream. No, this is it? definitely not an imposter syndrome. This Thank is, you, so you're me. at home, it's a sunny day, and you're in your garden... Yep. Which which you've recently renovated, which you're very happy with. Yeah, you love. It's really lovely. I really your bench love. in the sun. Yep. yep. The outdoor shower and the garden's an outdoor great. shower. Yeah. And shed at the back and butt shed at the back. And lovely. Yeah. And you're really proud of that. Yeah, I am. And it's it's given you a sense of self that you've accomplished something. Well, we paid Helen to do it, but I'm enjoying it. Anyway. You're enjoying. You love it. I pretend like I'm doing gardening. I go. That might be a weed. I'll pick that up. So, is there a sense to you that maybe? You really love that and you enjoy it, but you really want to be doing more. There's more you want to do. So I know definitely, you've not got, any, not, any, you've not got any books in the go at the moment, which I know is really hard for you because you love, you're a workaholic you, in, a, in the best sense. Yep. You're a hugely creative person, multiple projects. And right now you feel slightly, the slugs representing slowness. Mm. Uh, they represent, they're coming closer to you. They're taking you over. You I'm feel like you're becoming, this. you're slowing down. And you don't like slowing down. So you've got what you love and it's blissful and it's serene. And yet the slugs are coming and you can't even enjoy it because you need to do more. So we're moving. I don't want to get locked into this cycle again. So you've now sowed a thought deep into my psyche that might unconsciously tonight when we've commentated on stage three, And eventually, I uh, my pillow, you know, my head hits the pillow. That might rear its head again, and I might there might be a sequence now. You need a project. Kind of you need a project is what you need. You need a new project, something bigger than the, all the different things you're doing. You need a, you need to find something that slugs can't catch onto. You need to be moving, it's like like creatively. Okay. Yeah. Uh, should we go to work? Yep, let's do it. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.